0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Transport Topics Live on Web. I'm Joe Howard, Executive Editor here at Transport Topics, and our subject today is Powering the Trucks of Tomorrow. There are plenty of suppliers out there vying to be fleet's choice to literally move trucks down the road in the years to come. Starting with tried and true diesel power, on through to natural gas, fuel cells, hybrids, and the current hot topic, electric. There's a lot going on in this arena including some big news coming from the West Coast, where we'll find my co-host, Transport Topics Managing Editor for Features, Seth Clevenger. Seth is joining us from California, where he was among the selected press invited to cover the November 16th uh, introduction of Tesla's long-awaited battery-powered Class 8 tractor. But before we get to Seth, I want to let our viewers know what else we have on tap. For today's program, We interviewed a variety of experts in the industry who have some compelling thoughts on the rapidly evolving ways in which fleets can choose to power their commercial vehicles. We hope that their insight will be instrumental in helping you make your short- and long-term business decisions. Today, you'll hear from Cummins Executive Director for Product Management and Market Innovation Tim Proctor, North American Council for Freight Efficiency Executive Director Mike Roth, NGV America President Dan Gage, and Frito-Lay Senior Director for Supply Chain, Mike O'Connell. As you listen to these interviews, if a question pops into your mind, share it with us. You can email your questions or comments to share at ttnews.com. If you're watching on the web, you can comment directly on this page, and if you're watching via Facebook Live, just enter your question right in the comment box. One thing many of us have been commenting on and talking about is the much-anticipated Tesla electric heavy-duty truck. And only a precious few have even seen one in person. But one of those people is Seth Clevenger. He attended the November 16th launch of this highly anticipated truck and joins us from California with his report. Seth, you had the hottest ticket in town. How did it go?
1: Yeah, Joe, it was uh, quite the splashy event last night. Uh, so Elon Musk uh, you know, introduced the truck by driving it into a hangar with the audience was waiting and uh, got the, our first real glimpse of this truck. And uh, it is a uh, all electric class eight day cab and uh with a range of five hundred miles uh which is probably higher than than some might have anticipated for an electric truck mm-hmm. uh definitely puts it in the in the regional uh range uh so if you have a uh say a a, a load that needs to be delivered two hundred and fifty miles, uh, you can use this truck to deliver it there and come back uh, without recharging the truck until you uh, return so it's um uh, also, the, the design is really a, a complete redesign of what we think of as a, a Class A truck. You know, it's, a, you know, starting by removing the internal combustion engine. You know, it's uh, battery-powered. The battery sits in, under the cab and is powered by four electric motors at the wheel ends of the drive axles. So it's, uh, you know, the architecture, of course, is just completely different from uh, what we know, all know, and, and think of as a, as a heavy-duty truck and uh production for this truck is targeted for 2019 so it's uh not that far away
0: then and, then he, and he guaranteed no breakdowns i thought that was impressive that he said it's not going to break down but then you know when he's talking about that one of the things he says is well it's got four motors it can run on two so that, right. that you know that presumes and I, I can't imagine anybody would let all four of them go without putting it in for some service but uh so it, he's making the case that if you lose two motors it can still go on two motors okay fair enough
1: yeah, and you know, it's um, you know the, what really struck me is it was a real you know, Musk really tried to make a, a business case for this. I mean, this is not a, a luxury item. This is a, a truck that's designed to be economical and, and to bring a better business case than diesel trucks from from day one. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the calculus there is maintenance. Maintenance is a big piece of it. You remove the uh, uh, the diesel engine. You remove the, all the after treatment systems. There's no SCR. There's no diesel particulate filters uh, that can cause maintenance problems um, that that need to be addressed. Uh, there's no transmission. It has regenerative uh, braking, uh, so it's um, you know, in addition to generating energy and you know, that, that supports the battery. It's uh, protecting the brake pads. So really, this is designed to be a, a very low maintenance uh, kind of vehicle. Uh, compared to what we know, uh, so, so so that's a big piece that uh, you know maintenance and it's really interesting to to hear him you know guarantee uh, of one million miles for the for the electric powertrain. so it's a pretty bold uh, guarantee, and we'll be eager to see how these uh, these trucks perform uh, in the real world when they come to market.
0: And he also guaranteed it'd be uh, a lower cost of ownership from day one, talking about the the total picture.
1: Yeah, so the, the argument he was making is uh, that you know, this truck, the, the Tesla Semi, will uh, be cheaper today than uh, the cost, total cost of ownership of a diesel truck. Uh, he, he said a diesel truck is 20% uh, uh, more expensive when you factor in all these, these various uh, costs, you know, including the, the vehicle cost, insurance, fuel, maintenance, uh, 20%, uh, uh, the diesel truck is 20% more expensive per mile. Uh, that's his argument. That's that's what his math mm-hmm. is, has has uh, <laughs> come up with, and right. um, it's a pretty fascinating statement. Uh, we we think of electric vehicles as still being a uh, pretty high price premium, uh, and there are still some details we would like to learn about the battery in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, clearly this is going to be uh, a product that's going to be driven by the business case. Right. So there's a clear understanding on Tesla's part that a a purchasing a truck is not the same as purchasing a passenger car, which is more of a you know, you know a emotional decision and and perhaps you'll pay more for a luxury car and as we all all know uh in trucking it's it's cold hard r o i you know what's mm-hmm. going to make the most sense right uh how can i you know do do the job and deliver the freight safely and and, and as efficiently as possible?
0: And when you you make a great point there because uh that that sets up our first interview actually very well uh Tim Proctor from Cummins because he you know, we uh, he spoke with uh, Roger Gilroy at the North American Commercial Vehicle Show, and that was one of the cases he made and the points he made. Over and over again was that they're interested in the right solution for their customers, and he talked a lot about you know whatever makes the most sense. So in Tesla's case, they're obviously going to make a claim that this makes sense for the, these type of operations that they're targeting. I thought it was interesting that they did that they, that they came out with something so very specific to you know partic- to p- particular duty cycles. I think that makes a lot of common sense actually. So with with all the hype, I think on some level they made a fairly sensible move in saying here's something that can work in these particular types of operations. I thought that was interesting. And uh, we'll, hear from, we'll hear from Tim Proctor right now and listen to what he has to say about electric and emerging technologies and where Cummins stands, because let's remember, Cummins has introduced a, a concept electric truck as well. So you know, the Tesla news is exciting, and we sent you all the way to California for it, but they're not the first ones to come up with, uh, with one of these concept trucks. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from Tim right now.
2: I am Roger Gilroy with Transport Topics, and we're at the inaugural North American Commercial Vehicle Show with Tim Proctor, who's Executive Director, Product Management and Market Innovation with Cummins Inc. That's right. Tim, thank you for being with us.
3: Oh, thank you, Roger. Uh, pleasure to be here.
2: Answering a few questions about your sort of green efforts as a multinational c- company. Um, it seems, though, starting with the U.S., though, you have lots of opportunities to impact uh, sustainability from a fuel efficiency angle here in the U.S. with your medium-duty presence and your X-15, X-12 engines and AOS electric uh, powertrain. Um, how do you manage all that?
3: Yeah, so our... Um what our ambition is to be uh, providing the right power for our customers, uh, the right power solutions, and uh, we recognize that being dependable uh, is their number one objective. They've got to complete their mission. Products are being used in, in businesses which deliver um, income and, and sustainability for the people that are running those businesses. So our products are part of how they do their work. Um, and yet also we have to be a leader in innovation. Uh, in order to stay at the front uh, of, the, uh, of, the, of, the, of the market to be able to deliver the value um, in whichever way is, is, is going to mean that the product meets the customer's business needs. And when you talk about green, uh, fuel economy, fuel use is the primary source of the uh, carbon dioxide emissions, greenhouse gas emissions that impact uh, global warming. And, and obviously it has an economic benefit to the customer to use less fuel as they do their business. But every customer has a different set of priorities in terms of how much their fuel cost builds up into their business cost. So some customers are incredibly sensitive to it and actually insisting from a comp- just a competitive position in the market that our products exceed by a significant margin the regulated greenhouse gas limit. So uh, for example, in, in, in the line hall space, if you only meet the greenhouse gas legislation limits, you really don't have a fully competitive product, and we have to be innovating um, to stay ahead of that curve. Um, whereas in other spaces, we see that the regulators are forcing um, you know, really strict debates about the air quality from both the criteria emissions, but also being concerned about global warming, uh, and in those areas we see much more opportunity for uh, alternative energy solutions such as natural gas where we already have products in North America that are near zero emission uh, performance that are being used extensively in like port operations and areas in the US that are struggling with air quality more than a greenhouse gas perspective. Um, and then also looking at electrification as an innovation to bring an even cleaner vehicle at the point of use Um, as well as saving fuel as we look at electric powertrains uh, in a hybrid-type application in conjunction with with an engine.
2: Obviously, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are also bringing out e-axles and hydrogen fuel cell-powered vehicles, uh, electric trucks of one kind or another. Um, How closely do you pay
3: attention to that? Very closely. Um, obviously, it's really important for us to be uh, aware of what's going on in the industry. Um, we have our own research work that's going on in almost all of those areas. Uh, we've been working with electric powertrains for over a decade already, um, and we have work going on in, fuel, in the fuel cell space as well. Um, it's really a case of what's going to meet our customers' needs, and our position in our, our, our brand platform of powering a world that's always on Uh, is more about having the right product for every customer. And we come to every one of those customer interactions without a predetermined answer. Um, Because we've got that diversity of solutions, if the right answer for a customer is a diesel powertrain, then that's what we can work with them on. If the right answer for that is an electric powertrain, that's what we can work with them on. And when you look at any one of these other um, independent, independent disruptors in the market space. They're coming with a very clear uh, innovation, um, and I'm sure that they will drive acceleration of adoption of these technologies in the market. But they're also coming to every single one of their customer interactions with a predetermined solution. Uh, Whereas um, at Cummins, we want to be uh, really focused on meeting the, the needs of the customer with the right technology at the right time.
0: That was Transport Topics' Roger Gilroy talking with Cummins Executive Director for Product Management and Market Innovation, Tim Proctor, at the North American Commercial Vehicle Show in Atlanta back in September. And uh, Seth, one of the interesting things that he said that caught my ear was that Cummins has been researching electric for 10 years. So it's it's the hot topic now, but at least in Cummins' case, a, a company synonymous with diesel They've been after this for 10 years, so they just recently introduced their concept electric truck, but it's not a new idea for them. And he mentioned fuel cell, which is not something we think of when we think of Cummins at all. So it's interesting to me. It's not surprising, but it's interesting that he's talking about these things now. At this moment, you know, in, in the history of trucking, when there's so much going on in, in, right. terms of, in terms of these new technologies, that, you know, maybe it's all of a sudden in terms of people like you and I covering it, but it's not all of a sudden in terms of the people who are out there developing the powertrains.
1: Yeah, and if you, I guess if you need a, any clearer indication that uh, there's such broad interest in the possibilities for electric and trucking, you know, you have Cummins and yeah, you know, like you said, they're they're synonymous with diesel engines, and you know they see a future where they're doing much more than diesel. I mean, diesels are, uh, of course, uh, you know Cummins is certainly not running away from diesel, but uh, they're diversifying and they're looking at other forms of of power for for vehicles, and uh, electric is part of that equation.
0: And they're not just looking at engines. I mean, they've they've got they've got their deal with um, with Eaton for, uh, for the for the for uh, the for the transmissions. I mean, in terms of back to engines though, they've been making the Cummins Westport natural gas engine for, for years now. So I find it interesting that, and he didn't come out and say this, and they probably wouldn't, but on some level, it's a response to the integrated powertrain movement, if you will, that we're seeing from OEMs. Uh, Cummins is kind of getting into that business You're, the, the day is going to come where they're going to say, I would, I would suspect here's our engine, be it a natural gas or a diesel, and here is our transmission and look how well they work together. Yep. And, and, and also interesting that he talks a lot about the right solutions for their customers, so that be it natural gas, be it diesel, be it electric, which is along the lines of what um, I think Elon Musk is saying as well. Here is an option for you, fleet customers, that maybe this will work for you. And he, he you know, Elon, uh, as is his uh, as is his habit, makes you know a very strong case. But if you did to bring it down to a realistic level, maybe it could. He, he uh, we didn't get to that uh, earlier, but he showcased the uh, the charging stations that you can charge a truck while it's being unloaded.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different, um, you know, ways. I mean, you think about uh, electric vehicles, and there's concern, of course, with driver's time and and the time it takes to recharge the vehicle. Uh, But um, Elon Musk is really making the argument that this kind of will just fit naturally into the work cycle as we know it. Uh, I mean, drivers today are required to take a 30-minute rest break, under hours of service. Well, if they're charging the vehicle during that time and, and during their rest break, it's just part of their natural day. You know, you end your break. You know, get something to eat and go back to the truck and uh, and is recharged. Uh, so he thinks that uh, electric vehicles will really fit in. You know, the types of operations we think about and, and just the general workflow. And uh, if I could kind of speak about the driver a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, and uh, sort of the, the driver-facing element of the, of the Tesla Semi, uh, the interior of the truck really did. Uh, stand out as something that was uh, not like something we, we see in a, in, a, in a truck today. Uh, you know, the, the driver's seat is actually in the center of the cab, you know, mm-hmm. not, not offset to the left, so it's a very different feel. It's uh, kind of akin to a, you know, Formula One race car in a way, mm-hmm. and it's uh, very open. You can, uh, you have a wide range of view out of the windshield. Um, and you think about uh, how that will, you know, work with a driver and, you you know, another piece that's actually quite, uh, different is, so the instrumentation on the dash is all gone, that is now on two touch screens that are on the side of the steering Mm -hmm. wheel, so there's two large screens, uh, touch screens, and you, you don't have this traditional dash with a speedometer, and, uh, you don't have knobs for the HVAC, that's all on these, these two, two screens, one on each side of the, of the, um, steering wheel, so it's really a, a whole different kind of, uh, user interface for trucking, and you, know, you think on one hand how you know, a traditional uh, older driver might react to that I'd probably feel like they're in a, you know, a, a SpaceX rocket rather mm-hmm. than, a, than a truck. Right. Um, and you think about some of the initial resistance there was to something even like an automated manual transmission, mm-hmm. was, as the industry now, of course, has you know, clearly been moving away from manual transmissions uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of applications. Uh, but there was some some initial resistance, and uh, we continue to see a little bit of that with uh, ELDs, with electronic logging devices. Uh, sure. So that's a lot lower uh, level technology than you know, kind of a completely redesigned uh, Class A truck. Mm-hmm. So you wonder how an older driver might respond to that. But then you think on the other side, a younger driver, you know, maybe you know the uh, millennial, a twenty-something who has never considered a job in trucking, and as we all know, the the industry is just really uh desperate to attract younger people to the industry mm-hmm. as, as the workforce ages and you know we continue to, to see a, a shortage of qualified drivers um you know hey maybe the chance to, to get behind of this uh, you know this truck that kind of feels like a spaceship is mm-hmm. is going to be attractive to uh, some of these younger potential drivers and maybe that's part of uh, the, you know, the, the process of attracting younger drivers to the industry.
0: And that, you know, that issue came up on a previous Live on Web, as a matter of fact, when we talked about recruiting young drivers and the, the idea that all of this technology is native to younger drivers. This, they, it, it does, it, it, they're not scared of it. They embrace it. They're looking for it. They want it. Uh, can you imagine, a, you know, a 20-something getting into a car and it doesn't have some kind of touchscreen, why, why would they buy this vehicle? So uh, the same is gonna, I think the same is going to be true of the next generations, if you will, of drivers. They're going to get into these trucks and expect all this stuff to be there. It's, it's part of their life, and if it isn't there, they're, they're probably not going to be interested. So, yeah, I think that it, it, it may freak you out that there's no speedometer. But uh, it, By the way, is there a head-up display on the windshield like for, for miles per hour?
1: Uh, this is, there's two, there's two, um, touch screens on the side. This, this is what you're looking at. Okay. And they're yeah. just both of the side of the, you know, each side of the steering wheel. So you kind uh, of, you're glancing left. You're HVAC controls and. Yeah. And your speed and all that stuff. So it's, it's all been kind of consolidated on these, on these touch screens.
0: And it's, it's like a spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, it, all, all of this, all of this whiz bang technology is cool and exciting, but, but. Diesel's not going anywhere, and well, I think we all agree on that. We're, we're a long, long way from the day when, uh, when trucks won't be fueled by diesel. Um, there's broad agreement it's going to be the industry's primary fuel for years to come, and a recent program initiated by the North American Council, Council for Freight Efficiency demonstrated that significant gains in fuel economy can be achieved from a combination of driver training and broader adoption of equipment currently on the market. Um, NACFI called this initiative Run on Less. It involved seven trucks operating in real-world conditions, including some time spent hauling freight during Hurricanes, Harvey, and Irma. Uh, the seven trucks covered 50,000 miles in 17 days and averaged 10.1 miles per gallon. Um, as NACV Executive Director Mike Roth explained in an interview right here in TT's uh, studio in Arlington, Virginia, a little while ago, these drivers weren't trying to be hypermilers. They just used a combination of good driving habits and good equipment, sometimes, uh, when, the, when the equipment was available, uh, produced to produce some pretty impressive results. It's an example fleets can learn from and deploy right now. So let's hear from Mike.
4: Run on Less was our maybe our first big event, Joe. It was uh, uh, highlighting seven fleets and their tractor trailers and drivers, and we sought to go find some of the most fuel efficient uh, fleets out there that are um, really getting it done, and, and mm-hmm. uh, we were able to do that. So. Uh, The run lasted 17 days in the middle of September ending at the uh, North American Commercial Vehicle Show and um, we accumulated those seven trucks and and drivers accumulated over 50,000 miles Mm -hmm. and they did 10.1 mile per gallon. I mean uh, higher than even I thought um, and uh, pretty impressive and and it was really um, maybe most impressive because it came during the hurricanes. Mm -hmm. So the first week of the run, Harvey was coming up through Texas, and then we had Irma come up the East Coast. And these uh, these drivers in these fleets said that the challenge of a lot of wind, and unexpected routes, uh, dropping some trailers when um, you know in some cases they had to drop a highly efficient trailer uh-huh. and pick up a, uh, you know a dog or a uh, older, less efficient, not the technologies on a trailer, um, and just the congestion and all that. So. Um, you know, we monitored the conditions that they operated in, and um, really feel like first of all it's real world, um, but secondly, with the weather and the and the circumstances, the 10.1 is pretty impressive.
0: And, and what's impressive about that is you, you talk about how they had to go from an efficient trailer to a dog. So you're thinking that wow, we're we're going to see we're going to see these numbers come down when we're, when we're backing away from the from from the equipment. So how does that get into driver training and driver habits? So in a case like that where you're saying, okay, well, we can't count on the equipment to really be there to help us, so then it gets down to driver training.
4: Yeah, first of all, these were seven awesome drivers. They mm-hmm. were they either picked. So we had a mega fleet in U.S. Express, and we had some fleets around 1,000 trucks, and we had an owner-operator. So we had a, a mix of, uh, of size of fleets, but these these truckers and these drivers are really impressive. So mm-hmm. when they're put when challenges are put to them, they they want to stay on their A-game. Mm-hmm. You know, they're watching that fuel economy and all their readouts. We had one driver have four different coaching tools and readouts in the truck. And so um, when they're throwing a curveball, um, like the Hurricanes, they, they, uh, they work to know how to handle it. Um, so whether that's dropping a trailer, headwinds and tailwinds. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one truck that literally drove into Harvey and – Irma pushed him a week or so later. On mm-hmm. um, that truck, we saw something like 12 and a half to 11 and a half miles per gallon, mm-hmm. or 12 and a half to almost 11 mile per gallon, so uh, a big fuel economy difference. And that's one of the things we're going to start looking at um, moving forward as we look to produce a report on mm-hmm. the run is what effect does payload and wind and um, trailers um, average speed or the speed of the truck, you know, slowing down saves fuel, but how much is too much? And um, we're going to look through all of this data. We have 99 days of driving amongst Mm -hmm. these um, trucks over that 17 days. And we're going to get in and maybe even look at the data by hour to Mm -hmm. really understand what was going on. NACFI, in our work, we've got 85 technologies that we're watching. Some have already scaled to either standard or or very high adoption, and others are just uh, starting to emerge. So... We watched and and looked at um, the specs these fleets brought to run on last to understand what combination of those eighty five each of them had, mm-hmm. and it was it was a pretty good diversity, which also leads us to believe that you know there's not one mm-hmm. answer here. Yeah, I mean I've already been asked um, does ten mile per gallon potential of these diesel tractor trailers? Not even call potential. This is what available technologies that they brought to the table today. Does that make the business case for electric trucks or hybridization or some of these more advanced things lower? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if if you know for those who are developing you know significantly different tractors, you do have to make to to count on the the baseline getting better.
2: Mm-hmm. And
4: and so um, they're going to continue to get better. Uh, and so yeah, we we've been studying a lot of technologies. We've done twenty confidence reports, and so um, mm-hmm. uh, we've studied a, a great deal of the available technologies. We looked into the future a bit with. Two-truck platooning and electrification of accessories, and you know maybe we'll get involved in in some of the more I'll call them maybe like revolutionary things mm-hmm. that, that that people are asking about. But it all comes down to you know just the good hard, hard diligent work that mm-hmm. we all know. You know, understand your duty cycle, right. understand the business case you have as a fleet. Uh, manufacturers talk to fleets, just don't talk to one or two. Talk to hundreds because there's various different duty cycles and business cases out there. Um, and, and start to work on what makes most sense to you. you know the the higher the speed, the more important aerodynamics are. The lower the speed, tires become really important. Um, they 're all important, but depending on how much start and stop you do, miles you travel,
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, dedicated routes versus irregular general freight hauling routes. Um, you know, fine tune what what you operate in or where you 're going to sell your products into. Um, And then just um, understand what's available and work hard Mm -hmm. on it, uh, always with an attitude towards total cost of ownership rather than being too specific on fuel saved and Mm -hmm. cost of the device. Mm -hmm. Don't forget the engineers are always working. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we are starting to see new skirt designs. We're starting to see... um, designs uh, emerge that uh, might replace skirts, um, you know, and be, be interesting to, um, to buyers. So, you know, as soon as you think something's there and going to be there,
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, somebody innovates and comes up mm-hmm. with something new. Mm-hmm. And so one of, the work, one of the things that NACFI wants to do is, is help speed up that whole process, okay. you know, accelerate adoption, accelerate new generations of products, help the manufacturers know where the issues are, help the fleets um, with all that, and uh, with all that, trying to get to this 10, 12 mile per gallon mm-hmm. fast. Yeah, we're in some real exciting times. I mean, uh, you know, I think the the two areas of a lot of focus, you know, automating, maybe autonomous, possibly self-driving trucks, mm-hmm. and electrification. Um, I think have one common thread, and that is that the industry now believes they're possible. Mm-hmm. So having a truck that can either follow another one autonomously, or drive itself, you know, maybe with the, you know with a driver for a long time, don't get me wrong, but um, automating that process more and more all the time, electrifying battery costs, power electronics, um, motors, all are, you know, the costs are, are down and the performance is up. And um, I think if you, if you really quiz the, the engineers, uh, the fleets, the manufacturers and so forth, just in the last year, both of those have become realistic. And mm-hmm. so if it's realistic, then... Now, how do we make it happen? And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we've kind of gone from, oh, I don't see that happening. You know, a battery might drive a 2,000-pound car, mm-hmm. but it's not going to do an 80,000-pound truck. Um, you know, that's sort of been bust, myth-busted, if you will.
0: That was NACFE's Executive Director, Mike Roth, talking about that group's Run on Less program, a pretty interesting program that returned some impressive fuel economy results. As a reminder, you're watching Live on Web's look at powering the trucks of tomorrow. We invite your participation in the show. You can email questions or comments to share at ttnews.com or comment directly on this webpage. If you're watching via Facebook Live, simply enter your question into the comment box. And check out ttnews.com and liveonweb.ttnews.com later for the full interviews with all of our guests, Mike Roth and the rest of them. So, Seth, um, one of the things that I thought Mike said that was interesting, he said a lot of interesting things, but he talked about total cost of ownership. I mean, I can't believe the, the, uh, the, our accidental good luck that he talked about that you know, when, when he was here at our studios and here, here Elon, Elon Musk was making this case that uh, noth- nothing beats his electric truck, diesel can't compare. Um, we'll see about that. But it is interesting when you think about the total cost of ownership for a vehicle, how after a while, it's almost like certain things get cooked in. You know, he, he, he said it, he made a great point. The engineers are always working. So, you know, are always things are always improving. So, and, you know, he talked about skirts. I mean, trailer skirts are ubiquitous these days. You know, say 10 years ago they weren't, but now they're everywhere. It, it they've become cooked in. So you're now, the you, you know, fleets are going to have to continually find new ways to, you know, to, to locate efficiencies because that's kind of backed out now. That was that was the cool new thing whenever they came out. But now. What's next? So when he talks about the engineers are always working and we're looking at all these new technologies entering the market, it does become uh, you know, something of a challenge. And it's like uh, fleets are like, you know, like like at the dog track. The dog's chasing the rabbit. You're always chasing that rabbit. You're never going to catch him. <laughs> but they're always chasing that rabbit, always trying to chase that next thing, that next big thing that's going to improve their efficiency and bring down their total cost of ownership.
1: Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing when you think about how far diesel trucks have come in the last you know, 10 years, you know, really, you know, going back to, um, we always look at the the introduction of DPFs in 2007 as kind of a a Mm -hmm. milestone moment, but really since then we've seen tighter and tighter emissions controls. Uh, we've seen more and more, uh, aerodynamics, you know, side skirts, trailer Mm -hmm. tails, and, uh, increasingly that's touching, you know, pretty much the entire vehicle, you know, tractor fairings, uh, wheel covers, uh, even uh, tire pressure uh, monitoring and inflation. Right. There's so many systems that have really uh, caught on over the last, you know, several years, last decade plus, uh, that have have, uh, you know, increasingly uh, been put to use in the industry. And, and trucks, you know, today are more efficient, fuel efficient than they've been. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that, uh, that drive for more progress there just uh, just continues.
0: When you mention things like you know something as simple as tire pressure monitoring, but it's one of those things that over time, as people see that they work, as people find you know that huh, does work, it is kind of beneficial. I mean, maybe I will go ahead and add that you know to my to my to my next order. Um, and one of the things Mike Roth said I thought was also interesting was that as fleets see that these technologies can work, it eases adoption. He he was talking about platooning, but but it, but it it speaks to anything that's new that over time. When people see that it works, when people see that there is a return on investment, total cost of ownership and ROI, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. So uh, I remember seeing a futurist one time at a uh, at a conference, and he said, the future is right in front of you. You just have to be paying attention. So, And, and I, he was speaking about just this, that when all these things are coming into the market, coming into a market, whatever that market may be, you just have to be paying attention and see that, hmm, I better take a look at this because it might be something I'll embrace down the road. It might be something that can benefit my business down the road, whether it's TPMS or a battery electric class A tractor.
1: Sure. Um, you know, and electric, I mean, it's just given the the amount of interest from not just the new players that are coming into the industry like Tesla and, and uh, Nikola uh, Motor Company, right. uh, but also the traditional players, you know, Cummins and, and you, you talk to the uh, the traditional OEMs—they're all looking at electric. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we see we, we see that really from from top to bottom, and you know, it kind of becomes a question of um, not really of when, but just how, you know, or, or if, but a question of when and, and how soon. You right. know, uh, what what applications does it make sense um, sooner rather than later, uh, and, and how long does it take to uh, for for an electric powertrain to work in a you know a true you know kind of a regular route long haul kind of operation right. and uh, these are open questions and um, you know just it's just a matter of how how long it takes and um, you know diesel I think it was we mentioned earlier has a you know, long runway ahead of it in trucking and uh, you know we, we may be witnessing the you know the, the early stages the infancy of, of its uh, eventual successor in electric and, and uh, we'll see if that comes to pass
0: yeah, well, it's funny you mention that, too, because it wasn't that long ago we were having this conversation about natural gas. Uh, natural gas hasn't gone anywhere. It's, it's an option that works for you know, some of the same applications that people are now saying work great for electric. Um, arguably, all the attention focused on electric right now has taken the air out of the room for natural gas. Uh, we have diesel prices that have remained at reasonable levels for a while now, um, but the, the bottom line is, with natural gas, it's it's, it's still, still here. here. It's still the it's still the hundred-year fuel. Um, yeah, at least that's been being called. But what has changed, as NGV America president Dan Gage told us here recently at the TT Studios, is a program through which billions of dollars in new incentive money is being made available for the purchase of natural gas trucks, uh, as part of Volkswagen's settlement with the federal government over the diesels in their passenger vehicles that exceeded federal emissions limits. That company is providing $2.9 billion in funding to states for the purchase of clean air vehicles, including natural gas trucks. Now, incentives have always been a big driver when it comes to the sales of natural gas vehicles, which have historically carried a price premium over diesel trucks. But Dan Gage makes the case that the combination of inexpensive fuel, clean emissions, and the billions of dollars that will soon be available through this settlement combine to elevate natural gas in the discussion of powering the trucks of tomorrow. Let's hear from Dan.
5: Well, electrification is, is certainly an option, especially for light duty. Uh, but it's not commercially available yet for medium or heavy duty, and that's important. It's important when we think about emissions. We think about emissions controls and reductions in greenhouse gases, reductions in, in, in nitrogen oxide or, or NOx. Um, natural gas provides a very real solution today mm-hmm. uh, for all of those problems, all of those issues, all of those challenges. Um, it's reliable, it's available, and mm-hmm. it's sustainable.
0: Now, in terms of cost, there's, there's been historically kind of a concern that, you know, yes, they're very clean and they're available, but there's a cost issue. And incentives have certainly been something that have helped move natural gas vehicles along. I know that uh, as part of the settlement with Volkswagen, there's mm-hmm. some opportunity there for, and I don't think people probably realize that, there's opportunity in, in the heavy truck space as well as part, of that, as part of that settlement fund.
5: Well, the Volkswagen settlement will provide $2.9 billion to the states to distribute for uh, a whole host of Projects that, with the with the end goal of reducing reducing emissions, and when you look at all of the dif- different options that are available, everything from diesel to electric to potentially fuel cell someday, and natural gas, it's natural gas that provides the the biggest cost-effective benefit uh, in terms of investment of those funds. Uh, we've been doing our part uh, at NGV America with our member companies to. Uh, share that information, share the facts with with those who are putting together these mm-hmm. these plans uh, in all of the states, and eventually uh, very shortly uh, there will be funds available and uh, and public private partnerships will be able to apply for them
0: so okay so public private partnerships will be able to apply for them or so it wouldn't be like an individual company that could apply for some of those funds, or could they?
5: It could be. It could okay. be um, transit authorities. So it, it, every state can do it differently. I mean, there's a host of, of, of rules and regulations that are set forth by the trustee and the, and the judge. Um, but, uh, but each state will have its own plans based on, on needs. And, and our argument uh, to those state regulators is that um, it should be focused on the, the biggest investment of resources with the biggest benefit, uh, and also focus on those areas that have the, the dirtiest air.
0: So when you said $2.9 billion, is that, the, is that the entire settlement, or is that specific to just these applications?
5: It's $2.9 billion for Appendix D, which is, applies to this, these funds that go to the states. Okay. When I think you have to realize that fleet operators, um, when they make money, it's when their trucks are rolling down the highway mm-hmm. and not plugged in. Um, currently, there's no available electric technology uh, that meets those heavy-duty and medium-duty demands. Uh, natural gas does. Um, besides its emission benefits and the new Cummins Westport engine has, in essence, a zero emission equivalent rating by mm-hmm. both the EPA and CARB, um, it's, a, it's a terrific opportunity, it's a ter- terrific option for fleet managers. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at electric, this is still a promise days down the road. Uh, when it, if and when it becomes available at the heavy-duty uh, level, mm-hmm. it will likely be incredibly cost-prohibitive. Um, uh, there are a few details about what the size and weight of the battery packs and how those will be incorporated into the entire uh, uh, tractor-trailer package. Um, so when you look at whether electric is an option, um, it's not an option today. Well, I think what we're going to see are more and more communities, more and more politicians, more and more elected officials uh, that recognize that there are some serious issues with, with air and air quality in our most urban areas. And what can we do to invest in, in uh, improving that situation? And it will likely be around uh, uh, medium and heavy duty. Uh-huh. It will likely be around uh, ports with, with uh, you know, ships in and out, marine vessels in and out. Um, and how can we transition from uh, traditional dirtier fuels or uh, older vehicles into cleaner um, mm-hmm. uh, v- vehicles that have less of a, of, of a negative footprint? Um, we're seeing it around ports. Uh, we're seeing it around uh, inland ports like, like rail yards. Um, and, and certainly we're seeing it from, from um, some of our members who invest in, in for instance, school buses, uh, trash trucks. Um, we're, we're seeing vehicles that drive in and out of neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, and, and to that point, final mile. Final mile is only going to get more important as it you know, as we go. So there's probably a big opportunity. You mentioned medium duty. I dare say that's where the, there could be real opportunity for natural gas trucks is in that final mile.
5: Agreed. Local delivery. And you mentioned two. Um, you know, you mentioned two s- sort of partnerships with electric. And mm-hmm. so we have members like UPS um, that have natural gas fleets, but then they're looking at that final mile um, mm-hmm. because there are some cities saying not going to be any trucks, right, available uh, to be able to, to, to drive in those cities 20, 30 years from now. So how, how does a, a company like UPS get to that final mile? I mean, that's, it's interesting. There's a lot to do and, and it, um, a lot to look forward to. and you know, Electric, electric is, is certainly um, something that's very exciting.
0: That was Dan Gage, the new president of NGV America, talking with us here in our TT Studios about natural gas and the opportunities that exist for fleets with natural gas, including that VW settlement we discussed. But um, you know, Seth, again, another one of those happy accidents when he said uh, electric is still a promise, uh, and he, he's he's got a leg to stand on there. These are these are concept vehicles we're seeing. There, there are you know, we, we, we Navistar has electric coming out. Freightliner has theirs in Europe and some medium duty, but for but for the most part. For, for for class eight, you know, for, it, it it is a promise, and a natural gas truck you can walk over and buy one today, and uh, there is, there is fueling infrastructure. There are there are there is a business case to be made, if, if, if with this incentive money certainly, but uh, if 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 clean operation is important to you, if there are regulations that you have to comply with, we of course we could think of the ports. There is there is a case, and it's here, and and there is a fueling supply that is abundant. Maybe it's not as easy to get your hands on as as diesel, but, but there isn't, but there is an abundant fuel supply and you can get it versus the attention being paid to, to electric that again was being paid to natural gas just a few short years ago. But the bottom line is, this is something here that is an odd, that is a right now option for
1: fleets. Sure. And, you know, it's, um, you know, of course back, uh, three, four years ago, uh, it was, uh, I think pretty broadly expected that natural gas was really going to kind of skyrocket as a fuel for trucking and, and really, get a lot more market penetration, and um, of course that was back when diesel was $4 a gallon and the, you know, the domestic fracking boom has really lowered um, uh, diesel prices and, and that kind of removed the urgency to, uh, to change, to, to look at all, all fuels. Uh, so that really kind of undercut that projected growth, but it's still there. It's still uh, being used in, in a lot of um, you know, sort of niche applications where it makes a lot of sense. And um, even if uh, the, the hard dollars um, business case isn't as strong as it used to be, there's still uh, cases where you might have certain shippers with uh, corporate sustainability goals, and uh, natural gas might be a, a way of, of doing that. And uh, perhaps those shippers will, will look to, to fleets that are using natural gas as a way to, to reduce their uh, carbon footprint and, and meet their, their self-imposed
0: uh, goals. And you know, to, to that point, you talk about how you know, some of those corporate sustainability goals, and you know, when, if, if that's important enough to a fleet that they're going to make, they're going to make the investment. You know, in this case, in a natural gas or an electric. We have a, uh, we do have a question from a viewer from Eric, who asks, what are some of the uh, what what are some of the indicators that you think we should be looking for to to signal that these disruptive technologies are actually gaining more market acceptance? I mean, my personal take on that is. When you see some big names and/or some big numbers moving, um, I, I think it's a little early just yet. You know, let's use Nickel as an example. U.S. Express, you know, they were they were there for that. So they, they 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 they've said that this is something that is interesting to them. So there's there's indication that at least one major fleet is interested in this technology, but. I think as you see more of that, you know, you've got a UPS, they, they try everything. I mean, I, I think they're, they're a leader and they should. You know, we, we, sh- we should make note of that. They, they, they experiment with, with just about everything. But when you start, it kind of gets back to what we were saying earlier. When you start seeing more and more operators embracing a technology, whatever it might be, a disruptive technology in particular, that's your sign because I would say they've made a business case at that point. If they're, if they're plunking down the money, if they're making the commitment, there's dollars and cents attached there somewhere.
1: Yeah, Joe, I'd, I'd add to that. It's um, you know, at least you know, in terms of electric, I was struck at the you know, North American Commercial Vehicle Show uh, a couple months back in Atlanta. You know, th- it's almost just a unanimous message across the, the manufacturers and, and tier one suppliers that you know vehicle electrification is one you know the the key trends that they're all pointing to. They mm-hmm. all see that as. Part of the future and you don't really hear a lot of dissent um, from the big manufacturers mm-hmm. on that point I mean there are lots of questions about when and how and where it makes sense but it's, it's amazing how uh, that message is seems seems to have been embraced and the potential for electric seems to have been embraced by the industry at large um, you know uh, and you know you mentioned a few of the the OEMs out of have been spending some time on it, you know, Navistar announced his plans to have a class uh, you know, six to seven truck, um, electric truck in uh, late 2019 or early 2020, and, uh, you know, Daimler Trucks has been spending a lot of time on this, and, you know, they have a class eight that they've shown in Europe, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their executives have been uh, been teasing uh, a, oh, an electric freightliner as well in, in mm-hmm. recent months, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they've been Promoting that as a Cascadia E mm-hmm. as, as something that might become possible, uh, you know, in the not too distant future. So uh, it's clear that um, you know when you when you see that much uh, unanimity uh, you know, among the manufacturers, it's a sign that uh, you know, that's kind of become the new, you know, or at least is becoming the new paradigm.
0: Right, and I think that you know, again, back to Eric's question. Uh, he sometimes you can look to certain companies as. You know, as leaders, I think that our you know our next guest, Mike O'Connell from PepsiCo, his company is one of those. Um, PepsiCo uh, spoke with, uh, or rather, Mike spoke with uh, Roger Gilroy again at NACV. Uh, he's a senior director for supply chain, and um, he talked with Roger about the many technologies that his company, PepsiCo, is is doing. Uh, PepsiCo is number one on TT's top 100 private fleet list. Uh, and they're deploying a lot of technologies across their complete operation. In particular, Mike discusses how duty cycles dictate the options the fleet considers and how it strives to make the best decisions for its fleet regardless of power source. Let's hear from Mike and Roger.
2: Could you give us a little bit of the background on how PepsiCo uh, sort of became concerned with fuel efficiency and, and then moved to where you are now, which is in kind of a preeminent position with in that area and also alternative fuels like natural gas.
6: Sure. So at PepsiCo, we have a business strategy called Performance with Purpose, and it's really focused on ensuring that we're doing everything we can to reduce, in this case, our greenhouse gas impact Mm -hmm. with our fleet. So we have, it's a broad strategy across multiple areas, but in this specific case, it's around the environment Mm -hmm. and ensuring that we lower our impact on the overall uh, greenhouse gas. Um, and, and of our fleet. So, um, you know, when we really looked at how we can improve on our overall performance Uh, unfortunately there's not one solution that fits Mm -hmm. all fleets Mm -hmm. so we've been um, involved in shows like this we've been involved with government agencies non-government agencies in regard to technical solutions we focus on people process and technology Mm -hmm. right so um, you reference natural gas we Mm -hmm. have a large-scale deployment of natural gas in our Frito-Lay which is in our Frito-Lay division which um, the reason it works extremely well in Frito-Lay is we have lightweight loads so the tank is usually you know the, the weight of the tanks is usually an offset to mm-hmm. cargo well mm-hmm. on the Frito side of the business it's not mm-hmm. so we can get the efficiencies mm-hmm. and the environmental improvements of natural gas and so we've um, rolled that out pretty expansively across mm-hmm. our business mm-hmm. we really um, we have a fleet of about 60,000 vehicles in North America across all drive cycles, across all weight classes. Mm-hmm. So we have a team that works with the field operations group trying to identify the best solutions for those drive cycles mm-hmm. to create the highest efficiency. Sure. So we have clean diesel trucks. We're mm-hmm. trying to maximize the efficiency mm-hmm. through the work we did with Run On Less and the fee and Carbon War Room. Right. We've um, used alternate fuels like CNG you've referenced. We've implemented electric vehicles mm-hmm. and the
2: like. Now, you do use some for-hire carriers, too, do you not? Yes, we do. Okay, and I assume that you have sort of sustainability uh, criteria that they should meet and what you look for in them. Could you talk a little about that?
6: Yeah, so we partner with a lot of carriers in the industry to support our broader business, right? Inbound raw materials, we use carriers a lot more than our private fleet is Uh mostly used for the outbound finished materials and delivery to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's just a competitive advantage for us to do that. Um, So we partner with all our suppliers. We certainly get involved in events like this to showcase new technologies so that our partners will also adopt those technologies to improve their fuel efficiency. Um, So we monitor and measure that. Part of our performance with purpose goals include what would be considered scope three emissions, which is the four higher carriers that we partner with. So in order for us to achieve those goals, we have to partner with them to become more fuel efficient as
2: well. You touched on electrification a little bit, which is kind of a big topic here now. Yep. Um... Can you tell us a little bit more on your view uh, of how that might help you?
6: Yeah, so certainly there's been an evolution of electrification. We started out in the medium-duty Class 6 arena, where we've invested in some um, Class 6 trucks, um, full electric. Mm -hmm. We continue to partner with suppliers. I think we're kind of waiting for the industry to catch up and some of these more developmental technologies to be hardened. Mm -hmm. So... There's evolution if you're talking pure electric. Now, certainly there's a lot of hybrid yeah, solutions out there today. Yeah. Um, we, we are finding on our drive cycles that regenerative braking hybrid solutions don't mm-hmm. get the benefit that we need because we don't stop and start a lot. Okay. We actually make deliveries and will be stopped for quite a period of time yeah. versus stopping place to place to place and maybe you do 60, 80 stops a day. Mm-hmm. So what we need is more of a plug-in hybrid solution or a full electric solution that meets our drive cycle and again the reason we even got involved in it early on on the free lay side of the business is we are not weight constrained mm-hmm. with the lighter snacks that we deliver mm-hmm. so we did a lot of testing i do believe that Um, there'll be all kinds of electrification in the future, however you define it, right, with plug-in electric, hybrid electric, full electric solutions, all the way from what you're seeing now in automotive will continue to carry forward all the way up. Um, And there's been some recent announcements on some pretty interesting Class 8 technology, Mm -hmm. full electric. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where that goes, but we certainly um, believe that we will continue to partner with all solutions because because of our drive cycle, there will be multiple solutions in our fleet.
2: Can you give me an idea of, of how much of your fleet is in this area where, uh, you know, of, of sort of high fuel efficiency or alternative fuels, even if we consider electric electrification okay. as a fuel? Yep. I mean, how deeply are you really into that?
6: Well, I would, if you consider clean diesel technology and mm-hmm. advancements in, um, you know, getting somewhere in the thirty-plus percent or more fuel efficiency improvement in diesel electrification cng and the likes we're probably somewhere between 25 to 35 percent of our fleet Uh in what you would consider those advanced technologies really because if you go through the cycle we talked about in the life cycle of our assets really being aggressive back in 2007 8 and 9 and working to adopt those technologies right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work then you just don't go buy the truck Mm -hmm. cng for instance we had to build out infrastructure Mm -hmm. for fuel we had to build out infrastructure for garages so it takes some time to implement. But once that's in place, now it's easier for us to adopt newer technology and larger scale quantities.
2: One thing you mentioned earlier when we were talking uh, before was about sort of driver behavior and what effect that can have on actually maximizing the value of the different kinds of fuel, electric or CNG or diesel. Could you get into that a little bit?
6: Yeah, so, you know, as we talked about people, process, and technology earlier, our people are highly engaged in our performance with purpose, sustainability strategy. They understand how important it is for us to stay competitive in today's business world. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're highly engaged, right? Tommy, who you met, was here as part of the RUN event, is very engaged in the programs we're working on. So. Um, The reason that's so important is a lot of people understand is the driver can impact, they say some words, 15 to 25 percent of the fuel efficiency of a vehicle, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people think that just applies to diesel fuel when, in fact, it applies to all your solutions. Mm -hmm. So let me use the CNG example. When we adopted the technology with CNG, it's just as important that that driver drives that vehicle efficiently as well, Mm -hmm. or the economics or the environmental benefit deteriorate if, say, they drive the diesel efficiently, but they think, they, well, it's an alternate fuel. I don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. the efficiency of it. You have to worry about the efficiency of it no matter what the solution Mm -hmm. is. Energy is energy. Whether you're burning diesel fuel or you're burning natural gas, Mm -hmm. it's very important that we drive as efficiently as possible. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way safe driving is fuel efficient driving so you know safety is paramount for us as an organization Mm -hmm. and ensuring the drivers are driving safe Mm -hmm. each and every day like tommy who's Mm -hmm. you know a million mile driver safe driver for
0: us roger gilroy at the north american commercial vehicle show in atlanta and one of the things i found interesting about that conversation seth was the fairly simple things that go into decisions for a fleet as large as PepsiCo. Number one on our TT100 private uh, fleets list. He talked about how natural gas works for Frito-Lay because the loads are light. And therefore, the added weight of the fuel tanks isn't as important. I mean, it, it, it seems so simple, but it, it, those simple solutions sometimes matter the most. Uh, if, if, if it is simple as, well, this, we can use this inexpensive fuel over here because it works for this duty cycle, but it doesn't work over here, there you go. Um, because a simple solution like that and a simple decision like that manifests itself in a lot of money. A lot of ROI, a lot of total cost of ownership considerations go into something like that. Uh, and his comment about how hybrids only work if you're in a, in a, in a duty cycle where you're going to get some benefit out of the brake regen. Also fairly obvious, but also, again, it's interesting to me that you know going forward as it relates to the Tesla truck and everything else coming into the industry, it is going to come down to some fairly simple, obvious decisions about whether or not this, this technology, whatever it may be works and gets, gets back to what Tim Proctor said back at the top. Does it work for the customer? Either it does or it doesn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and it's not, this, this industry is definitely not one size fits all right. You know, yeah. it's very many different applications, you know, different types of freight, uh, different types of trailers and, you know, different, uh, distances covered. There's just, just so many different uh, use cases, and um, you know the the calculations and the decision making uh, are going to depend on who you are and what you haul and uh, what your you know the the duty cycle of your your vehicles and and uh, you know your the needs of your drivers and. Uh, just what, what your situation is. I mean, it's just, and the is not going to be the same necessarily for, for everybody.
0: Absolutely. And I think that uh, something that Mike O'Connell said that actually touches back on our, what our viewer Eric asked about, about broader acceptance, um, he talked about how, again, with natural gas in this case, the upfront is the big challenge. And, that, and that, I think that's true of any technology. The upfront... I, uh, i 'm sure that Tesla truck is not going to be inexpensive uh, you know something else elon Musk said at his, at his presentation last night is well you know, Tesla, you know Tesla stuff is expensive well yeah we 're expecting that to be true you know of this truck, but that you know in the for for but for a fleet 's case once that upfront, once you once you 've spent that up front over time you 're going, going to realize you 're going to realize some term, some return once you 've made the big investment in infrastructure or in the equipment at some point again. It's going to get baked in if you've identified that there's, there's a long-term answer for you in that technology. So the upfront's going to be big. And you know, one other thing that uh, O'Connell talked about was service. You, gotta think, you have to think of everything. You're to, whatever, whatever it is you need to, to do to service those trucks, uh, in the Tesla case, but once those two motors go down and you've still got two left that the truck's running on, well, you've got to fix those other two, so how do you do that? Um, so that, that's, that's an investment and a consideration you have to make. But then once that's installed... You're okay, so um, I think that something that Mike Roth said as well when he said that once the industry sees that these things work, then that might ease adoption. So going forward, we'll just all have to be watching. You and I and everybody here at TT, we'll just have to be watching to see how the adoption goes. I think there's a there's a lot we're going to be uh, watching in uh, in the days and months and years to come.
1: It's certainly a fun time uh, to be in the trucking industry. You know, uh, just think about all the changes, all the uh innovation we've seen in recent years uh you know clearly you know this is a an industry that's that's changing in in a lot of uh you know very interesting and and exciting ways
0: well seth thank you we've covered a lot of ground and we've heard some great insights from some great experts i'd like to thank tim proctor mike roth dan gage and and mike Mike o'connell for talking with us about these exciting issues Again, I'd like to thank Seth for uh, doing this show on West Coast time after what was surely a long night. Uh, Seth, thank you. Safe travels home. Uh, Thanks also to the the behind-the-scenes crew here at TT that make Live on Web possible. If you missed part of this show or would like to watch it again, a replay will be posted later today at our website, ttnews.com, and also liveonweb.ttnews.com. And be sure to check us out online and in print for all of the latest news on these and the many other issues that affect the trucking industry, including Seth's coverage from the Tesla event. Our next Live on Web is scheduled for December 13th, when Transport Topics Managing Editor Lori Grant will sit down with our reporting staff for a look back at the big stories that dominated the news in 2017, and also a look ahead at stories we'll be following in the year ahead. Don't miss it. For now, I'm Joe Howard, and we appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later.